Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Today we're going to talk about human milk use in the neonatal intensive care unit as well as donor human milk. I have with me Dr. Kathleen Marinelli. Dr. Marinelli is a neonatologist at the Connecticut Children's Medical Center as well as an associate professor of pediatrics with the University of Connecticut School of Medicine. In addition, she's the medical director of the New England Mother's Milk Bank. Because of the length of our discussion, my interview with Dr. Marinelli is broken into two parts, and this is part one. Hi, Kathy. Thanks very much for joining me on this podcast today. Thanks very much for having me, Anne. It's good to be here. Great. So my first question for you regarding human milk is, why are infants in the neonatal intensive care unit better off receiving human milk than formula? That's a a, a good question to ask, and there's a long answer and a short answer, and we'll try to get one in between. Um, as you probably know, most babies in the NICU are premature, and even if they were on time, uh, they're there because they're sick. And there's no comparison between what's in human milk uh, versus what's in formula in terms of, first of all, um, helping them with their immunity. So if a baby, a term baby is there because they're sick or a preterm baby is there because they're preterm, one of the things we need to do is help them fight infection with everything that we can. We tell mothers it's like medicine for their babies, the best kind of medicine we can give them. There are so many factors in human milk that help babies uh, first keep from becoming infected and then if they were to get an infection or, or were admitted with an infection to help them fight it off. There are live white blood cells um, that that work in that capacity. There are immunoglobulins that, that come from mom that help them fight off specific infections and protect their lining of their gut so that no bacteria or viruses can get in that way. And then there are just so many other uh, factors that we're learning about that have specific functions to help protect those babies. So it really is medicine that mom makes for her baby. And for the NICU babies in particular, um, when moms are holding those babies, they're in an environment in the hospital that has lots of bad germs in it, we say, for any of us really. But when those moms hold those babies, they um, are exposed to the same germs that their babies are. And amazingly enough, their body will make antibodies against those specific germs which will then go into their milk and they will feed it to their babies and that can help protect those babies against the germs that are in the hospital. And that to me is just so amazing. And then it's not just the um, protection either. These babies, um, especially the premature babies, everything about them is immature, including their digestive system, for example. So they need, need to be able to, to get nutrition that will help them grow and develop. And 
the nutrients that are in human milk are extremely easy to break down and use as nutrients. When the baby's inside mom in that third trimester, there are so many things that they get across the placenta, and that's when they do a lot of their actual sort of growing and getting big and and ready to be born at term. When they lose that third trimester by coming out early, it's hard for us to, to feed them and get them to grow at the same rate. But of all the things that will do that, human human milk is so much better than um, than formula that comes from a cow's milk or or a soy plant um, in so many ways. And there's so much data that stands to show that it's it's just amazing. So it is really the gold standard for all babies. But uh, certainly, when you're talking about babies in NICUs, there's no comparison. Great. That's interesting. So I've actually heard, too, that babies who receive human milk in the neonatal intensive care unit are less likely to die than those who don't. And so in terms of severe complications of not receiving human milk, can you describe those? That's absolutely true. Um, And the data supports that and has been coming for a number of years now. Um, There's a very devastating illness that happens to uh, premature babies. The more premature you are, the more at risk you are for getting it. And it's something that's called necrotizing enterocolitis. We call it NEC for short. And it's um, we've known about it for a long time. We have some ideas about why it happens. We don't absolutely know why it happens. Um, but there have been studies published since the early 1990s that show conclusively that babies who are fed a human milk diet will... Um, absolutely uh, do better in terms of the rates of necrotizing enterocolitis than those babies who are fed a formula diet. And babies who are in between and get a mixed diet will sort of have intermediate results. So there's an example where uh, you see what we call a dose response, so that the more human milk you get, the more protected you are. And there's been some recent data that's come out that shows that those babies who receive an entirely human milk diet are almost completely protected against uh, getting necrotizing enterocolitis, which can not only kill babies in the NICU uh, or or cause the death of babies in a NICU, but if it doesn't uh, cause mortality, it can have very long-reaching complications into uh, a baby's life. For example, they may lose a large portion of their bowel because it, it essentially dies. And if you don't take that dead bowel out, the baby will die. So you may save their life, but because you've taken so much bowel out, they don't have enough to digest food, and so they end up with something we call short gut syndrome, and they could end up being in the hospital for a very, very long time and have many complications because of that. And that can have an impact on their growth and eventually their ability to learn. Yes, everything, absolutely. Long-term disability. Long-term disability as well. And we have data that shows us now, again, quite conclusively, that preterm babies who receive um, human milk do better in terms of their development, do better in terms of their IQ, do better in terms of some of the complications of prematurity. For example, There's a disease called retinopathy of prematurity, which the very, very small premature babies can get. And it causes um, visual defects. And in worst case scenario, it causes blindness. And there's data to show that those tiny preemies who are fed human milk 
have um, not only a decreased incidence of retinopathy of prematurity, but if they get it, it is also it is often of a lesser degree, so that they don't end up losing their eyesight. It's just amazing. I mean, we're learning more and more all the time. Babies in NICUs who are fed human milk have a lower incidence of infections while in the unit, not necessarily the most serious, like neck or, or meningitis or a blood infection, but those as well, even some of the lesser infections. And even out into the first year of life, when those babies are home, they're less likely to get respiratory infections and less likely to be hospitalized because of them. So they're protected for a long time. That's very interesting. So what is the optimal way to feed infants in the neonatal intensive care unit when they don't have access to mother's milk? That's a very good question um, because these moms are not able to start breastfeeding like we think of when a baby is born at term and everything goes well and the baby goes skin to skin with its mom right after delivery. And so we have to initiate milk production by uh, using a pump or using manual expression to express the milk. And sometimes it takes a while for us to get moms to make milk, and we may be ready to feed the baby before we actually have some of mom's milk. And sometimes we have enough milk when the babies are only getting very small quantities, but then down the road we may not be able to keep up with the baby's demands with the amount of milk that mom is able to express. And then there are also cases where moms can't produce their milk for their babies. For example, we've had moms who are delivered early on purpose um, because they're diagnosed with, for example, breast cancer during a pregnancy. And so they get the baby as far along as they can uh, without risking the mother's health any more than they can, deliver the baby, and then mom goes to surgery and or chemotherapy and she's not able to produce milk. So the next best thing to mom's own milk is something called donor mother's milk. Um, And that's something that a lot of people don't know about, but I think is becoming uh, more common knowledge recently. So here in the United States, there is an organization called, for short, Humbana, which stands for the Human Milk Banking Association of North America. And the nonprofit uh, donor milk banks in Canada and the United States belong to that. There are now 14, two in Canada, 12 in the United States, um, that are either open or in the process of opening. And I am the medical director, as you said, of one bank that's just about ready to open here in New England. And what we do is we collect milk from donor mothers um, who are screened uh, basically exactly like uh, anyone would be screened who's donating uh, blood to uh, American Red Cross Blood Bank or uh, an organ, for example, to an, for an organ donation. And we pasteurize that milk, which kills all the viruses and bacteria that we know of. And then we dispense that milk uh, to babies in need. And so mom's milk can either be supplemented with the donor milk, so say we're ready to feed baby on day two of life and mom hasn't been able to express any colostrum yet so we can start the baby on donor milk until we have mom's milk and then switch over to mom's own milk or at four weeks when we need more milk than mom's been able to express we can use some donor milk to help fill in the gap until we're able to um, help mom assist mom make enough milk 
or again for that mom who's not able to provide her own milk, for example, a mom who's on chemotherapy. So um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the uh, Academy of um, Obstetrics and Gynecology, and the American Academy of Family Practitioners all stand behind mother's own milk as being the number one choice, but the number two choice when you need something to supplement with is donor mother's milk. Is there any concern about the pasteurization process and how how well donor milk works in comparison to mother's milk because of some destruction of the fine qualities of mother's milk? Another great question, Anne. And yes, people have been very concerned about it. And I think... Um, I think it's because there's not a lot of people out there who really understand what's happening. So when we pasteurize the milk, uh, we heat it in a water bath up to um, a temperature of of 62.5 degrees centigrade, and it's held there uh, for a specific period of time. And so what that does is it heats the milk up high enough to destroy viruses and bacteria, and we're talking about things like the AIDS virus, hepatitis virus, you know, things that people worry about. And um, one thing I often tell people when I'm talking about this is remember, when you get a blood transfusion, the blood has been tested and questionnaires have been filled out about the donor's health, which we do as well for donor mothers, but the blood can't be pasteurized or the liver can't be pasteurized. We do one step further. We pasteurize the milk. So in my mind, this milk is even safer than a blood transfusion would be, and we know that blood transfusions are very safe, so this is even one step safer than that. But when you heat the milk, some things are going to happen to its components. So, for example, those white blood cells I talked about earlier are going to die, and actually when you freeze the milk, they die too. So lots of moms, you know, freeze their milk. That's how we keep it longer, and you lose those, those white blood cells that help fight infection. So yes, you've lost something there, but think about formula. Does cow's milk formula have any white blood cells in it? No. So in that respect, it's no different than cow's milk formula would be. What about the immunoglobulins, those proteins that um, mom's body has made all her life against the bacteria and viruses that she's been exposed to that she puts into her, her milk to help protect her baby? Now, her baby's gotten those immunoglobulins across her placenta, but they only stick around for a few weeks or a month or so after baby's born, and her milk is meant to continue that process of protecting her baby while her baby makes its own immunoglobulins. So what happens to those when you pasteurize milk? Well, it turns out that you do decrease the amount by about 25%. So there's about 75%, give or take a little bit, of immunoglobulins left in a mother's in a donor's milk after it is processed and pasteurized how much is in formula nothing zero so yes you've lost a little bit so it's not quite as hardy you might say as mom's own milk but it is significantly better than formula is going to be when you look at the nutrients themselves most of them are essentially intact and are as good uh, as the quantities, for example, in, in formula, but in terms of quality, because they're much more easily broken down by the baby, so the baby uses less energy to digest them and takes more of the, for example, the lactose. 
Lactose is the milk sugar in human milk. And when lactose is in human milk, the babies digest 90% of it and use it for energy in their own bodies. When lactose is in formula, cow's milk formula, they only digest about 65% of it, so they don't get as much. So even though the lactose stays in the milk, even when it's pasteurized, and they're able to take more of it. So hands down, even pasteurizing, you still get more for um, what the baby needs in donor milk than you do in, in formula that comes from a different species. Aha. That sounds wonderful. It is wonderful. And, yeah. you know, it's a gift that, that we women who can give to other women and to other babies that, you know, another species can't do. Right, right. And I also wonder if mothers who have every intention to breastfeed are um, encouraged to receive donor milk. I wonder if they become discouraged receiving formula when they intend to breastfeed and by receiving formula if that reduces their likelihood of persisting and working on their milk supplies versus mothers who have donor milk and know their babies are just receiving milk if that encourages them to continue to work on their milk supply so that they can provide mother's milk as their milk supply increases. Well, we certainly know from the from the literature that in a term population, babies who receive supplements of formula milk in the term, you know, term nursery or not, we don't have term nurseries in baby-friendly hospitals, but certainly in the postpartum unit, if a baby receives supplementation of formula, then the likelihood of that mom um, successfully, exclusively, exclusively breastfeeding her baby, even if that was her intent, goes down and the duration of breastfeeding goes down. And what I can tell you about neonatal intensive care units, because I'm not sure anyone's actually sort of looked at mom's intent and then what happens based on what supplement the babies get, um, is that uh, often what happens and what I've seen and, and my neonatal colleagues have seen now for a number of years is that when we introduce cow's milk protein to these babies, be it in the couple days before they get mom's milk because she's working on trying to get a supply in or down the road when we need to supplement, um, these babies often develop um, symptoms in their gastrointestinal tracts and they end up not digesting well. They sometimes develop what we think is sort of an allergic picture, end up with blood in their stools, which is one of the signs of that nasty disease I talked about, necrotizing enterocolitis, and they get taken off of all feeds, and they ultimately often get taken off of mother's milk because people can't figure out where this is coming from, and that is so discouraging to these moms. And and one of the issues in my own uh, experience and in talking to neonatologists as I go and lecture about this is that it's sort of the opposite. The neonatologists were afraid that if we supplied donor milk to these moms, they would be less inclined to work hard because it is work. It's really a labor of love to have. If any, you know, anybody listening to this has had to pump, even if it's going back to work and having to pump, which is what I did, pumping is no fun. I mean, it, it is not something you would choose to do. And when you're initiating lactation by pumping, it's really no fun. I mean, having your baby at breast and using a pump are night and day different. So it's not fun. And and staff and, and colleagues of mine have worried that if we provide donor milk for these moms, they'll just say, oh, okay, I don't need to pump. But I'll tell you what anecdotally, anecdotally, anecdotally we have seen is that 
mothers and, and fathers have seen that if we think this is so important that we have milk from other mothers available to their baby, then they work that much harder to pump and do whatever it takes to get their own milk supplies in for their own babies because this sort of puts a, a, a huge stamp of this is the thing my baby needs and it's the only thing I can do for my baby. And if other mothers are willing to do this for my baby, then I'm really willing to do this for my baby. And so it's amazing what actually happens. And it, it kind of spurs them on to work harder at it. And they're so proud of themselves and we're so proud of them when they work so hard to make milk. And some of them will go on and be able to donate milk as well if they get a great supply in. So it's kind of an interesting circle of loving and giving um, amongst women in this circumstance. That's interesting. I can imagine that's a strong message. And that's probably something I agree that people have not realized could be an outcome of yeah. using donor milk. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Dr. Marinelli, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing this very important information about human milk in the neonatal intensive care unit. It's been my pleasure, Anne, and I hope this will um, help people get an understanding and 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 uh, hopefully raise some awareness. I would encourage um, those who are listening to go to the Human Milk Banking Association of North America website, um, and you certainly can go to the Mother's Milk Bank of North America, uh, no, Mother's Milk Bank of New England website as well um, to get more information. Great. Thank you. And I also... um, I want to tell people listening out there that I have more questions for Dr. Marinelli, so I'm going to turn the rest of, I'm going to uh, form a part two with Dr. Marinelli on the use of donor human milk. But thanks, and bye for now, Dr. Marinelli. Take care. Thank you. Bye, Anne. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.